Ministry Mentorship, Episode 45. Hello and welcome to this episode of Ministry Mentorship. This is Jacob Tapia, and you're listening to a podcast dedicated to connecting apostolic leaders with young people for the purpose of helping them develop in their ministry. I want to just say today that I'm, I'm very excited about this podcast. Uh, we have a tremendous couple uh, that sat down and talked with me recently, Brother Alan and Sister Georgine Shalm. And they are missionaries to Pakistan and have been there for many years. And I know that you're going to be blessed by their insight into ministry. And just briefly, some things that have been happening in my life. Um, this summer's been pretty busy for me. Uh, we were able to go to Indiana to visit my wife's family uh, for about a week in uh, in the beginning of July. And while we were there, we were able to uh, connect with the Indiana district, and we were able to go to their camp meeting and set up a booth and do a little promotional there. So we want to thank uh, Brother Robert Straup. He's the district superintendent of Indiana, and Brother Mark Johnson, uh, who's the district secretary, for allowing us to come and to uh, promote ministry mentorship at their district. And uh, if you have a district conference or something that's coming up and uh, you'd be able to put out some resources or have a little booth, please let me know. We'd love to make some of our resources available uh, to other ministers in your district. Uh, We will not be having a Ministry Mentorship Live Bible study this month. Uh, We're going to be looking forward to next month with Ashley Lepo, and that's going to be on the 26th of August. So you want to make plans to to be a part of that. It's going to be an awesome Bible study. And another thing that I've started working on is a a book for Ministry Mentorship. Now, this is going to be an e-book that's going to be talking about ministry-related topics, kind of the a beginner's ministry guide, and we're hoping to have this out in the next few months. So if you have a piece of advice that you'd be willing to share with us about ministry or something that you've learned about ministry, I'd love for you to send that to me, and uh, we'd, we'd love to include that in this book. You can send it to jacob at ministrymentorship.com, and I know that your help will, will make this a great resource for the years to come. Uh, back in June, I preached for a pastor in Omaha, Nebraska, Pastor Justin Anthony. And uh, in the course of the conversation, he mentioned that he was taking a trip to India. And he suggested that I send some ministry mentorship resources. So uh, we've put together 50 copies of all of our podcasts. Now, this is over 24 hours of ministry-related material. And uh, we're going to be sending that over to um, India They have a Young Ministers Conference that they host, and this is going to be such a tremendous help to many, many young ministers there in the country of India. And this is really a dream of mine to be able to impact the church worldwide, and and I know that uh, your support of this ministry is helping make that possible. If you're interested in partnering with us to connect with missions, please send me an email, jacob at ministrymentorship.com and uh, you can be a part of what we're doing overseas. In case you haven't uh, seen yet, we are on iTunes, and if you go to our podcast page, that's ministrymentorship.com backslash podcast. We do have a link to iTunes at the top of the page. You can get our updates uh, whenever we come out with a new podcast. And if you uh, get a chance and you can rate our podcast on iTunes, leave a little uh, rating there. That would really help us to raise visibility on iTunes. In this interview, we're going to be talking with missionaries Alan and Georgine Shalm. They have been missionaries for over 30 years, 
And they're just a powerful couple who love the Lord. They've seen great revival in the nation of Pakistan. And they, they really were an inspiration to me personally during this interview uh, by their passion and their commitment to, to daily prayer, to Bible study, uh, really getting back to the basics. And I think that's very important for, for young ministers. And I encourage you to pass this along to someone that you feel like could benefit from these topics. Let's join the conversation now. Well, we're here today with Brother and Sister Shalm, and they uh, have served for many years as missionaries to Pakistan, and now they are uh, traveling, deputizing, raising money for uh, to return home uh, to their field of labor, and we're so thankful to have them with us today. Brother and Sister Shalm, thank you for being with us today. Mm, our pleasure. Thank you. <laughs> now, tell us a little bit about uh, your ministry background and uh, kind of what you guys are doing right now. Okay, I'll, I'll start out by uh, saying that, first of all, I was born into a missionary home uh, in India. My parents went in 1949 uh, to India and spent uh, the better part of 23 years there. And so uh, I am not new to missionary work. I did come home in 1970 to attend Bible College, which is where I met Sister Sean. And... Uh, after graduating in 1973, we uh, moved to Mississauga, which is a, a city right adjacent to Toronto, and pastored there for seven and a half years. I'll let Sister Sean talk about her uh, background. And, uh, well, I was raised in a um, <clears throat> pastor's home. My dad was a home missionary, actually, and um, <clears throat> started several churches in Ontario. And um, so that was basically all I knew from the time I was two years old. He went into the ministry when I was two. So I just went from being in my dad's house to being in my <laughs> husband's house. <laughs> ministry all, all the way. <laughs> wow. So um, how did you guys, what would you say would be the first step for you in ministry when you first got started in ministry? We'll start with you, Brother Sean. Then just... Well, um, I in Bible school, I went to a small Bible college. It was in uh, Ontario, Canada. It has since uh, amalgamated with uh, the one in New Brunswick. But um, there were just uh, a few students, and the year that I came in, there were quite a few students. I mean, uh, less. Uh, a less amount of students. <laughs> yeah. And so I had an opportunity right from the beginning to start doing weekend ministry. I did that almost every week. And um, my third year of Bible college, after I married Sister Sean, we married between my second and third years uh, because there was a nearby church that didn't have a pastor. I used to go there every week, uh, midweek, uh, for their for uh, Bible study as well. So I had a lot of opportunity right off the bat to begin uh, ministry. And then uh, after I had graduated, we had planned to evangelize for uh, a while and then go to the mission field. And uh, we uh, were invited at my Bible school graduation to, to minister in, in a town by the name of Brockville for two weeks. While we were there, we received a call from the district superintendent, who did happen to be my wife's father, <laughs> and said that a church had come open in the Toronto area. Would we be interested and uh, my response was that, well, we feel like we're supposed to evangelize, but we'll pray about it. And uh, we just knew 
it was a, a feeling that we were supposed to be there. And so we ended up being there actually seven and a half years. I would say that it was a very beneficial time for us uh, because I had grown up overseas and although I knew overseas uh, life to find out how ministry happened in North America was very beneficial to me. Uh, I understood how pastors go through situations, uh, what it was like to try and develop a new work because it was a home missions work and so uh, I think that was a very beneficial time. At the time we didn't expect to hang around that long but God did bless us and uh, from just a handful of people we grew to about 125 faithful people in the in the church in the seven and a half years we were there. They were very patient with us I guess <laughs> and so we uh, got to experiment on them but it was a really blessed time and God uh, uh, really taught us a lot, taught us of, a lot of things <laughs> that became very beneficial when we did arrive on the field. Sister Sean, anything you want to add to that? Say the question. Well, just talking about how you first got started in ministry. And you talked about your dad you know, being a pastor. So I was very involved even as a kid, um, doing music, teaching Sunday school, because it was home missions. Basically, you do whatever your hand finds to do. <laughs> And um, I knew from an early age that I was, I don't think it would be called at that point, but definitely had a leaning towards uh, foreign missions and made myself available. I was very interested in it. And um, when, he, when he said that that's what he, what he wanted to do, it just felt like two pieces of a puzzle coming together that we were meant to do it as a team, not just separately so it felt it was very easy fit just the two of us to match up <laughs> I was a very shy and backward kind of individual and my wife was a little more outgoing not so, so shy <laughs> <laughs> so I think that helped to, to, we uh, struck a good balance yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well I think that's that's important in, in mm -hmm. ministry that especially for you know, this podcast is for young people that, that feel a desire to be involved mm -hmm. in ministry. And for those that are unmarried, it's a great lesson, I think, for them to really, to if they feel like ministry is in their future, mm -hmm. that they really need to... Look for somebody compatible. Exactly. Yeah. Someone that has a, a, a leaning, like yeah. you said, maybe yeah. maybe they don't say, you know, I'm called to be a... No, no. You know, but they know, well, look, I'm going to be involved yeah. in ministry, yeah. and this is going to be a big part of my life. Yeah. Because you have to have that you all have to be on the same page. Mm -hmm. And that, that's very... And important. I think we have been very c compatible. Uh, areas that she's strong in, I was weak in. Areas that I'm strong in, she was weak in. So uh, we've been kind able to... Kind of each other along. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Leaning against each other. And, uh, that's how it's supposed to be, I think. Yeah. <laughs> and how long have you been married? Uh, we were married in August of... 42 years in about three weeks. Yeah. Oh, my. <laughs> so, wow. He wasn't even old enough to rent a car for oh, our honeymoon. <laughs> <laughs> Had to be 21 and I was a month short, so <laughs> we got the car in her name. Wow. Hmm. Funny stuff. You know, that's, uh, you talked a little bit about it, and this is kind of a sidetrack here, but but that seven years, you know, when you you said, well, we didn't really think we'd be doing this, but... 
this is what we need to do, and this is what we need to do. And, and I think, you know, sometimes a lot of young people get in that, they're in that place maybe in year four mm-hmm. or year five or mm-hmm. six, and they're just kind of like, is it ever going to happen? Yeah, you know, yeah. what's going yeah. on? How did you how did you deal with that? You mean after we were in the church? Yeah, you're so you're pastoring and then you're you you know this is not this is not where we're going to be the rest of our lives. I think as long as you feel the burden for the place, you continue to to work there. Mm-hmm. Uh after about 6 6 and a half years, we started to feel a little bit of unrest and things that would never have bothered us before started to bother us a little bit <laughs> and we realized that okay there's a chance how do you mean here. bothered us um we had some young men that were interested in ministry and i was trying to mentor them and uh, they were just questioning everything i was doing and rather than working Thanks. under me and so i, I felt like okay and there, I mean, that it felt was like our one, time of influence. Yeah, was was maybe that was a, a better term. Yeah, yeah. and uh, there were just different things happening. Nothing major, but just an indication to us that and that we've learned actually over the years. That's the pattern that God works with us. Some people hear a voice or get a letter in the mail or something. For us, it's been very subtle that. We'll be perfectly comfortable in a situation, and then um, things will just start being a little bit lopsided or a little bit not as comfortable. I think it's like a, an eagle one that builds its nest, evidently puts thorns underneath, and then covers it up. And when it's time for the bird to fly, the, eaglet, the little babies it starts to pull out all the straw and the soft mm. stuff, and it gets uncomfortable for the eaglet, and so that causes it to, to move out. Well, we, I think we learned when we went, we went to Karachi first and we went overseas. We were pastoring an English church and it was almost identical. We were there for seven years and then we just started feeling like our, it was just not as comfortable and we thought we're supposed to, something's supposed to happen. We were more open to, for the Lord to speak to us and that's when we moved north to Islamabad and um, you know, our kind of our role in Pakistan changed, so it was it was our, the pattern. We had to learn the pattern of how God dealt with us as a couple, and I don't think it's the same for everybody. Um, but it taught us how to be sensitive Absolutely. when He was speaking to us. I'd like to back up just for a moment um, because I think this is very important for, especially younger ministers trying to enter into a field of ministry. Um, if you're just doing it for a position or a salary or prestige, uh, you might want to step re- up the ladder. Step up the <laughs> yeah. You might want to rethink your your reasons for ministry. Uh, it doesn't matter what generation you're in. If anything is going to be built, there's going to be sacrifice involved. And um, even in Bible college, the Lord really. Um, taught me, started to teach me, I should say, how to pray, and um, I found that he would deal with me on a certain area, for example, like prayer, and give me certain guidelines or uh, principles, and then I would be led to read a certain book that kind of backed up, fleshed out what I had been reading and gave me some some, uh, further guidance, I guess you would say, in that area. Uh, 
I always had a very clear vision of what needed to be done uh, in the sense that we knew that we wanted to see revival. We weren't just going there to babysit a group of people. <laughs> we were expecting something to happen. And uh, right away I started fasting and praying. Uh, I made a vow to the Lord at my Bible school graduation that I would fast uh, every Monday, a minimum, uh, until my health gave out. Uh, by that I mean at any point in my life where there was some health issue that I couldn't uh, fast. I also told the Lord that I would pray a minimum of one hour a day. I made a, a vow to him that I would do that. Uh, that was in May of 1973. Uh, in 19, I'm sorry, 2012, I was uh, diagnosed as uh, diabetic. And the doctor said that I had to eat regularly. So I quit my weekly fast at that point. But I did it for almost 40 years. Every week. Even Every if week. Christmas was on Monday. Mm. We didn't have and, Christmas uh, dinner. <laughs> so that and that, and even now to this day, I, I prayed a minimum of one hour a day. Uh, when I first started pastoring, I devoured the Word of God. I would read it in two or three different translations, so I would get a little different perspective or, or uh, different viewpoints. I would uh, pray... Usually, at least two to two hours, I would pray up to eight hours a day, mm -hmm. uh, just seeking the Lord, trying to get direction. And uh, I think it kind of shocked our small congregation. One day, I, I felt impressed. Uh, we came in in the first of uh, at the first of July, which was summer vacation time. A lot of people were were away, and so I waited until the fall. And I came on a Sunday morning, and I preached that we're going to see revival in this place. And I said, uh, God has spoken to me, and I'm going to do a seven-day fast. You're not going to see me for another week. Uh, I don't want anybody to call me unless somebody dies or there's some major uh, issue. But uh, you're not going to hear anything from me until I'm, I'm done this. And uh, when I came to church the next Sunday night, that place literally exploded. Hmm. Uh, it actually brought a lot of people that were just sort of attending into focus and together. And from that point on, our church became a revival church. Uh, eventually, we started fasting and prayer chains prayer change, yeah. uh, that would last the whole year. Uh, I think our fourth year, about 40 people got baptized and filled with the Holy Ghost. And so things we started. We did a prayer chain, and the first couple of months, he and I each prayed I think four or five hours a day because we didn't have any people that, to fill in the slots and by the end of the year we were down to one hour each because God had brought wow. in that many people in that year. Wow. And so uh, we start we started seeing things happen. Our, our services um, and here again I know we're living in a different generation but there's some things that you can't I, I think can't change mm -hmm. and we used to wait on the Lord our service uh, on a Sunday night would start maybe 6.30. And night after Sunday night, we would get out 10.30, 11 o'clock, because we would sit there after the, the preaching, and the Spirit of the Lord would move maybe through intercession for a time, through worship through a time. Then we'd start to sing. It would just move from one phase to another. Nobody wanted to go home. Nobody <laughs> wanted to go home. There was a, a, an incredible moving of the Spirit. You don't see that happen very much anymore. And um, 
we had Friday night prayer meetings. Uh, they usually lasted at least two hours, but many times they would go four hours. And God would speak prophetically to different people and to different circumstances. And even our young people would come. I mean, I'm talking 13, 14-year-olds, and they would be there praying. It was something that enveloped the whole church. And so that was something that we learned. So when we went to the field, we already had this in our arsenal. We had learned it <laughs> in the homeland, and uh, we were ready to go and, and face some things overseas because we faced some pretty big devils over there. <laughs> and uh, we had already prepared for that. Wow. <laughs> it was awesome. It was exciting. Those seven and a half years, were that was a really exciting time. It, um, just yeah, we, saw we were dealing with people. babies, yeah, just new Impacted. converts, and oh, it, it was it was really exciting. It was really a pull to leave, even though we we definitely knew it was time. But um, yeah, and most of those people are still living for God forty years later. Well, not thirty five years later. Hmm. Yeah. yeah, it was exciting. Wow. Anyway, we. I just think that that's a challenge, really, to to the young people in our generation. I think there's such a distraction. Yeah. Mm -hmm. You know, I've and even ten years ago, you know, you in order to do anything, even online or any computers or anything digital, you had to uh, you had to wait. You had to you know, Sit down start your, your computer. Yeah. It took yeah. you an hour to do anything. Yeah. I mean, yeah. you know, but now it's just everything yeah. instant, and yeah. we've got it all. Yeah. And sometimes. It's very difficult to shut those things off mm -hmm. yeah. because because it's become such a part mm -hmm. of our life. Just like, you know, breathing, uh, breathing, mm -hmm. absolutely. Mm -hmm. So you're you're just constantly you, you. So talk to that young person right now that's saying, you know, wow, you know, an hour a day, four hours a day, you know, how did you do that? That that a young person that can't even imagine that. What I started out with, uh, actually, in Bible school, I began my prayer. Uh, Commitment. I, commitment. And uh, I didn't start out with two hours a day. Mm -hmm. I started out with 15 minutes. And when I found that I was getting comfortable with that amount of time, then I doubled it. And it's, it's always a stretch when you first uh, extend the time. But after a while, you start to pray not just words, but in the Spirit. And the Holy Ghost begins to move through you and time starts to evaporate. And so I would extend it, again, another 15 minutes, 45 minutes, an hour. And um, at this point in my life, I don't pray that much in the sense of just designated time for prayer. But through those times, I did learn how to tap into the Spirit. And now I can tap in instantly. I don't need to wait work up and work up a, a head of steam or whatever mm -hmm. I can sense and it came from those times of, of lengthy times of prayer to where I could learn how to get directly to the point where I needed uh, can I just interrupt for yeah. uh, because there are young people listening um, we created a, a situation where uh, we didn't have any children yet and I we made the decision that I would get a job and Alan would be for full-time, even though it was a very small congregation, and I only worked part-time. We made a decision to live very simply. We had a very small apartment. 
um, we, we didn't get into any debt, and that freed us up. I would go to work, and he was in the apartment, and he was he did home Bible studies. Once the things got going in the afternoons, he would teach back-to-back home Bible studies while I was at work, and he'd pick me up, and then we'd go do another one. And But in, in the morning, he would have that whole time to pray. Once you have children, um, people, everybody's situation is a little bit different, but we actually were free to make a decision. Um, our circumstances were conducive to that, that we said, okay, I can go to, I can get a job, and that frees up his time. However, once you once you make it a habit in your life, you find time. You find mm. time, and for me, if I don't eat in any given day, I will pray. Mm. If I don't do any other kind of activity, I will pray. That is the number one priority in my life, even today. Uh, there's nothing that will will remove that out. One thing that I do now is I, I walk every morning, uh, and so I'll get up early and go for a walk, and while I'm walking, I'll be praying and meditating. And uh, that may not work for everybody, but uh, for me... You, can, you have to find a way. You find have to a way find to make a way, it work. because yeah. we are in a busy time, and my responsibilities have increased. When I became superintendent in Pakistan, many times I would work 12 or 14 hours a day, and you're exhausted because the climate is difficult, everything you do there is difficult and so you're mentally and physically exhausted so you do have to find time and I found the best time was to do it early in the morning Mm -hmm. before all the interruptions of the day started weighing in on you Mm -hmm. and I think that if you make it a priority most of us will eat every day (laughs) and to me prayer was that spiritual uh, thing that I, I needed to do and I, I just, uh, just as, as I was going to eat every day, I'm going to pray every day as well. And that's still the basis of what my ministry is now, is uh, prayer and being able to tap into uh, what the Lord has uh, wants us to do. Well, who were some of the people that, that impacted you the most and, and why? Uh, first of all, I think my, my dad would have been very important as far as ministry is concerned and in the last two years of his life uh, he was the regional director for Asia Uh, we were missionaries in Pakistan I got to travel with him quite a bit and interact and just by osmosis I picked up some things probably in my early years my mother was the main uh, influence she was a mighty prayer warrior and many times I would come home from school and she would been she would be weeping and praying and speaking and in tongues, speaking in tongues. <laughs> mm. and you could tell that she'd been there probably two or three hours by the time I got home it wasn't something that had just mm-hmm. she just started and so that was a, a great influence she spent a lot of time with us talking a, a, about ministry and, and things and what God had called us to do and so that uh, had a great impact as far as people outside of my family uh, I would say Brother Billy Cole probably had the greatest impact in my life as far as my style of ministry and, and believing God. Um, when I was in Bible college during my second year, my parents were going to nationalize. They were the superintendent in India at the time. They were going to nationalize the work. And uh, so I got permission to go over for three months to see how they were doing it. I was in my second year of Bible school. I think I said that. And uh, I went with another Bible school student. 
he was in his third year. And so uh, while we were there, Brother Cole came for three weeks. This is before the days of Ethiopia and a lot of other things that had happened. And he traveled with us, or we traveled with him, I should say. <laughs> for, uh, we were doing the driving. So. <laughs> uh, anyway, we traveled together uh, for three weeks. And in those three weeks, we, would, we saw about 300 people get the Holy Ghost. On an average night, between 30 and 35 people would be filled with the Holy Ghost. And uh, that really impacted me. Uh, he would pray for people, and after they received the Holy Ghost, he put me over uh, in charge of those who had received it and to continue having them pray in tongues so that they would get freedom in that. And I remember one time I was praying for this lady, and she started, we were in a village in South India, and she started speaking in fluent Canadian English. Thank you, Jesus. My heart is fed. I love you, Jesus. And I had not heard any Indians up to that point that spoke with a Canadian accent. <laughs> now we have a lot of immigrants, and of course their children and everything do speak. But uh, in those days, that was a very, very unusual thing, especially in a village. And uh, my friend was there. He was Canadian. There was an Indian pastor there who spoke English. And when the lady finished praying, I thought, well, maybe she's learned English somewhere. So I started talking to her in English. She looked at me as though I was a blank wall. She couldn't <laughs> understand anything I was saying. And the pastor, realizing what had happened, said, Oh, but I heard her speaking in English. And, of course, we all had. Anyway, that was a, an experience that I had that was very impacting. And when Brother Cole left, he said, All right, you've seen what I've done. Now I want you two, boy, you two boys to go and do the same thing. And so we had five different services, and I think it was 156 people got the Holy Ghost in those five services. And so even though when we came back to Canada, we didn't see that kind of uh, numbers, we always knew in the back of our minds, or I always knew in the back of my mind, what could happen. Yeah. And it gave me a feeling as a young person, okay, I may not be seeing things happen right now, but it is there. It is there. And if I'll push through enough and keep pressing, uh, I'll see it happen. And God has blessed us. In Pakistan, I, I prayed for about 25 years almost every day to see the day of Pentecost happen. And uh, in Pakistan, we've seen it happen three times. On uh, one occasion, 4,500 people received the Holy Ghost in about 10 minutes. So it, I mean, but it was those early years. God starts to put some things in your heart and mind. And sometimes you think, well, maybe this is just me. But it, you know, grab that it, it anyway. Yeah. Grab it. <laughs> it it's, if it's something there that you feel God has put there, then He really wants you to see that and press for it. And then he's able to do exceeding abundantly above all that we can ask or think. I've seen tens of thousands of people receive the Holy Ghost. Uh, but it started with just that desire in the early years. And so uh, I would encourage young people to, to press through. Don't give up easily. You'll face some problems and some obstacles and difficulties. Criticism? We criticized. A lot of criticism. Yeah, we faced a lot of criticism. But... If you will continue to, to push through, God will honor that, and you're going to see some great things happen. Amen. Sister Sean, what about you? What would you say were someone that impacted you and, and why? I know you mentioned your parents, of course, in ministry, yeah. but anyone else that... Um, is it, 
I hope Brother Jaco hears this. I don't know if you know Brother Harold Jaco in Tennessee. He was one of our teachers in Bible school. Um, and he's, he, I think he's retired now. But we'll send it to him. Okay. He, <laughs> he believed in us. Um, I had been raised in a small district, and everybody knew me. I was just Georgie. You know, everybody knew Georgie. And Brother Jaco was from outside. He came to Ontario from Tennessee, and he believed in us. And he, particularly me, I worked very closely with him in the office and doing yearbook and things like that. And and he would make it sound kind of jokey, but he always threw it out there. I expect great things from you. I, I'm expecting you're going to do something for God. And I, I think probably I owe a lot to Brother Jaco, uh, who I, who I became, and I would say, outside of my own mom, Alan already mentioned his mother, but when I married Alan, she and I became, it wasn't just a mother-in-law, daughter-in-law, we were very good friends, and she mentored me as a missionary, um, and she was just very, um, I don't want to use the word blunt, that makes it sound kind of uncomfortable, but very forthright with me, and if I was doing something that she felt... I could do it differently and be more productive. She would just share, tell me in a very loving way. And um, she had a huge impact. And she used to say, you know, um, talk about her love for India and what it had done to her. And I always felt like, I want to be that way. I want people, to, when they when they talk about Georgine Shaw, they'll say, remember how she loved Pakistan? Because that's how my mother-in-law was about India. And I, I would say she probably had huge impact on me. Lots of other people over the years, but she would be the main one. What are some of the challenges uh, that you faced uh, as, as young ministers, and um, how did you overcome those things? As uh, young ministers, my wife has already mentioned that we made the conscious choice not to seek after financial gain. And, uh, well, the first seven months, we didn't even have furniture in our living no, room. No, and, and even as our, ch our church paid us $100 a week, and the whole time we were there, every time we had a, a business meeting, they voted to give us a raise, and we always said, no, we are coping just fine on $100 a week, and I was working. Let's use that money. Let's take on more missionaries. Let's put it on our building fund because by that time we bought a building and um, there there was some peer pressure you know, because other couples that you're friends with were you know buying homes and whatever we didn't buy a home but I'm, I'm not sure that was really a challenge that was a no, life I, choice that was a life choice and and so obviously I mean there were actually times when we didn't have any food in our cupboard <laughs> And somebody would knock at the door with a box of groceries. That happened more than once. Um, people supplied us with furniture. So actually, it was exciting because mm. even though it was a challenge, God was meeting our needs. And we really, we really learned a lot about giving financially. We have made that a. a ch I'm, I'm not sure challenge is the right word, but something we've in our own personal lives, we have made giving a priority. Um, and many times when we were financially in need, we eventually had three children that we were raising on a missionary salary. And um, 
you know, you, you, as they get older, you, you're looking at college and weddings and things. And we made a decision when we're feeling stressed about money, we're going to give. And we, we just made it a habit to give amounts that we really couldn't afford to give. And then God just blessed us. And um, just recently, we had, there was a situation that came up in Pakistan where there was a, a huge need, and we didn't have any resources. We called Brother Howell. He said, there really aren't funds right now to, to help with that, and different people we contacted, and it was right at Christmas time, everybody. And I just said to him, we have to do it. We, you know, we, we are going to have to take care of this. And um, we just wrote a check and, and paid it. And it was, at the time we're thinking, that's a, it was a lot. It was, it was like a down way. payment on a house. Mm-hmm. And um, money that we had been saving because we don't, still don't own a house. And we just decided God's work is more important. And God's, we're never going to be on the street. We're not going to be on the street. We don't have to worry about that. And we just gave it. And since it's come back already. Mm-hmm. And um, so the challenge of giving, but it's such an exciting thing because God, God will not be in debt to anybody. And um, he, we're certainly, we've been blessed so many times because we opted to give. Other challenges? The other challenge, I would think, and this is something that I think any young minister would face and how you respond to it is very important. Uh, when we started to see some results, we were in a district that was very traditional, I guess you would say, very strict. Good people. And good people, <laughs> wonderful people. But uh, there was a lot of small churches, and some of them had been there for many years, and there wasn't a lot of growth. And when we started to see growth, a lot of people started saying, well, they're getting... Uh, they're starting to compromise. They're doing this, they're doing that. They hadn't even been to our church, but they were. all these stories were <laughs> circulating. And that can be very hurtful because we weren't doing it to try and impress people. We felt like God wanted to give us revival. And so you have to be very careful with your attitude when these kind of things start to, to circulate. There's always going to be hurt. There's mm-hmm. always going to be mm-hmm. criticism. That, and I think, whether it's that or some other situation that comes up, you will always have people that are going to criticize you. And your attitude towards it and the way you handle it is very, very vital to whether you will go on or not. So, uh, I would say that was probably... But just, uh, and then I think probably being in Pakistan, um, you know, we live we lived through all the stuff that happened after 9-11, all the terrorism and... Um, our kids leaving home, going to Bible school, being 10,000 miles away. You have no idea who they're being friends with or where they're going or whose car they're driving or, you know, you have no control whatsoever. Um, that's a, that was huge, for, particularly for me. That was a very big challenge. Um, living overseas, dealing with all kinds of inconveniences, um, but I think having the call of God and knowing you're in the will of God really make it makes up the difference. I can't. I hate to call any of those things challenges because mm. it felt we were having a good time. I mean, we <laughs> loved what we were doing. We have loved being missionaries. We have loved Pakistan. We loved um, the things that God allowed us to do and get involved in was just so exciting. And I remember as a kid. Um, 
lying in bed thinking, I'm never going to get a chance to be in an airplane. Our families, we're home missionaries. We don't have any money. I'm never going to get. And we've flown all over the place. You know, we've done so many things that as a kid I couldn't even have ever imagined. And so anything that you would call a challenge is really, you have to look at the perspective of, all the opportunities that we've had and all the things God has allowed us to participate in. Well, how did he pick us? You know, he was going to do something in Pakistan, but we got picked to be to participate in that. It's awesome, really. And During so, the time we were in Pakistan, we saw it grow by over 150,000 people. And literally tens of thousands of people received the Holy Ghost. We've seen amazing miracles over and over and over again. So that... It really offsets that, anything yeah, that would... Yeah, put that in perspective, really, what you're doing, I, I look at it this way. Obstacles are something that... Uh, it's like the bow of a ship. When, it, when the point comes together, it just sort of... You're, you're focused on where you're going, and you just sort of push the waves aside. So all these obstacles are there, but you're, you're just pushing them aside because you're absolutely focused on where you're going. And so uh, uh, when you get there, think, oh, yeah, we did, yes, we did have some <laughs> things there. But really, that's not what your concentration yeah. is on. Your concentration is on getting where you want to. Mm-hmm. Pushing through a crowd, you're just mm-hmm. uh, propelled propelling forward, yeah. your, your way forward because you're not looking at, at all the individuals that you're trying to get by. Because your focus is on the goal that's ahead, I think that's a really important. Uh, Realistically, approach. if people are going to get involved in missions, they have to deal with the fact you're far away from your family. Mm-hmm. You know, there are going to be day-to-day things that are not like living in North America. That and that's just being pragmatic and realistic. It isn't North America. You're on the mission field. Um, but for me, it was like, oh, I can do this. You know, it was kind of a, an adrenaline rush. If my friends could see me now, they would be amazed that here I am driving in this traffic. And, you know, it was kind of like, good for me. I can do it. It's awesome. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> the Holy Ghost was always real. I, even now in, in our um, deputation services, I tell people we've been missionaries finishing up our 34th year. And in all of those years, there was never one morning when I woke up and said, hmm, I wonder if the Lord's going to be with us today. Mm. You, you knew every day he's here. He's in our home. His presence is here. His hand is on us. He's leading us. He's opening doors. He's directing our steps. You were aware of that presence constantly. And... Um, I mean, yes, there were challenges, but to the chance, the fact that it got to, it was us that got to feel that is just amazing. Yeah. Really thankful for that. My, I was thinking of that scripture, um, the Lord working with, them. I think that's yeah. how it goes, yes, the Lord working with them. So it's, yeah. it's almost like yeah, as you're moving forward, yeah. it's just kind of like yeah. this. Yeah, we're together. That it's momentum, a team. you mentioned yeah. the word yeah. momentum. It's just. Yeah. So that that's that's great. That's exciting. And we were, we didn't do it alone. We had other missionaries that worked with us over the years. We were not the only people in Pakistan working. There were a lot of missionary families. They God brings people for different uh, 
seasons. Seasons, because their ministry will fit that particular. Uh, well, for country. example, the Corcorans and the Hanscoms and the Tracys, they were the first three missionary families, and they went into a country that ha there was no church there, and they built a church. They, Brother and Sister Corcoran, had vision to buy property for a Bible school. Um, they paid $20,000 for a piece of property that's worth now almost $2 million. Oh, wow. They had vision for the work. They established districts. They set up the board, all of these things, and they got things started. That is not our forte. We're, we, to start from nothing, we've never done that. But when we went in, they already had something, a foundation laid, and as they left, we built on that foundation. We didn't start the, everything all over again. And um, so it was just a matter of our ministry dovetailing in with what they had already done and then others came along afterwards and gave what they could do and then we over the years we developed pastors and and people that were Pakistanis that were carrying the load and um, that was the really exciting part when you start to see these kids that yeah. are growing up in in your church and then they go to bible school and then they get ordained and then they're pastoring and you know it's it's really awesome mm -hmm. So we, we weren't, we're not superheroes just going over there winning 160,000 people to the Lord by ourselves. Well, our, our ministry is to cast vision and uh, put a confidence in people that God's going to take them to things that people say can't happen. I think another thing that's at your strength is um, allowing people, giving people responsibility and allowing them to fall flat on their face. And then just saying, okay, let's let's go at it again. You know, okay, you didn't do so hot that time, but let's give it another try. And um, not everybody can do that. Most people kind of micromanage. And um, I think that's one of his strengths, that, that he'll say, here's a job. You do it the way you're going to do it. Come back and tell me how it went, and then we'll evaluate and help people grow up. <laughs> You know, there's there's a lot of young people uh, I know that I've talked to that that have stepped out in faith and said, you know, Brother Shalom, I felt like God wanted me to go preach here, or I felt like I had a word from the Lord, I felt like mm -hmm. I had a prophetic utterance or a tongue interpreter or something, and it just it just didn't work out. And so they maybe they have pulled back, you know, from from that, and, and maybe felt like you know, well, I tried I it, and I messed it. up, mm -hmm. yeah. or I missed, you know, like yeah, I I missed it, I. You know, or, or, or someone criticized them, mm -hmm. or, or you know, what would you say to that young person that, that is... Uh, let, me, that? let me say this. I think that what you're mentioning here is an important thing. Um, people may come to you with a prophetic word, but in my experience is God always spoke to me first. A prophetic word didn't launch me. It was a confirmation of what God had already spoken to me. And because it was already my calling, my uh, direction or sense from the Lord, then if that came, that just encouraged me, okay, I'm on the right path here. In the mouth of two or three witnesses, let everything be established. Uh, I would strongly dis discourage people from waiting for some word from the Lord, from somebody to come up and give you some direction because then that's coming from an outside source 
and if it hasn't come from you in, it, internally, when you run into rough, uh, rough patches, you're, you don't have that the grounding in that. It's it's it's. You think, well, that actually came from somebody else. Maybe that wasn't really the Lord then. And another thing is timing. Sometimes you get a word, and particularly when you're young, you think it, that means today, mm. or if not today, definitely by next week. You know, I'll be on the way. And we had some prophetic words when we were young, and we thought we thought that they meant right right now, and they didn't. They meant some of those things are happening now that mm. we were told more than yeah, forty years ago. Forty years ago, we had three different people, totally random, random people, uh, speak into our lives and tell us that we were going to be ministering to many nations, and. Then we got sent to Pakistan and we're stuck right there. <laughs> because of our visa situation, we couldn't even leave but once or twice a year at the end. For several years, we couldn't leave at all, otherwise we'd lose our visa. And so it was really, I mean, it didn't seem like it was ever going to happen. And then now, just in the last two, well, years. two years, we've been to 15, ministered in 15 different nations. And others are opening up before us. So... Um, just because God said that 40 years ago, I mean, we could have been discouraged long, a lot of times along the way and thought, how come this hasn't happened? But that wasn't our main goal. Our main goal was to, to minister and to wherever see a door wherever, opened. Yeah, yeah. wherever a door opened, whatever God's doing here, we're going to do it. And eventually that'll come come to pass <laughs> if it's the right thing. So you have to have patience and, and uh, just stay the course, basically. Yeah. And that perseverance, too, that, that is a big... To me, that's a very important aspect as well. Is that is a if it, if one thing doesn't work, mm-hmm. well, that doesn't mean God's rejected you or your, your no. ministry's over no. or something. No. You you have to uh, go well, back we, to the drawing board. We actually board. thought we actually applied to go to India, and we were approved. The mission board. We did our us. deputation raising funds. Yeah, we to raised our first deputation. We raised money <laughs> to go to India, and so after the deputation was completed, I went with our regional director to India, and the government told me I couldn't get a visa. So what am I going to do now? I mean, God told me I'm supposed to go to <laughs> India, and now I've I've raised my money, and, and I can't go. Do I quit? No. The missionaries in, Mali- in Pakistan said, why don't you come here mm-hmm. uh, and help us a little bit? Pakistan used to be a part of India. And uh, at that point, we were Canadians, and so we could go, we could live in Pakistan without a visa, and visit India without a visa uh, as a tourist. So for our first term, that's how we did it. And then by the second term, the situation had changed. We needed visas for both places. Well, number number one, we had kids. You don't want to drive back and forth. (laughs) So we, by that point, we settled in Pakistan. And actually, sometimes God has to take you so far with one goal so you can see around the corner to where he really wants you to go. And so uh, I wouldn't get discouraged by uh, that. He may have a, may have had a lesson for you in that sp- uh, particular situation. And so don't discount it as as wasted, wasted, or not being from God. Mm-hmm. He was just trying to teach you something in that specific thing. Again, what lesson do I learn from this now? And then you move on from there. Hmm. So. Wow, it's so good. That is so good. I, you know, it's especially when you're young, and I can speak from experience, not feeling that, that tension of, uh, I know what I'm supposed to do, and yet I'm locked in 
you know, or, or and I think that's uh, I think what we're talking about is very vital. Very God vital. is God isn't in a hurry. Mm-hmm. Um, that was something I had to I learned over the years that he's he's got a plan, and he's he's not in a hurry. He's not in a panic, and he just allows things we to think, happen. We think sometimes. We had a young man that came that was interested in India, and he was saying, "But I got." He wasn't ready. He hadn't been to Bible school. He didn't really have anything to offer. But he, he said, was "I a got." New convert. I've, I've got. To, yeah, he's a new convert. I've got to. We've got to reach the world. Well, God could do in ten minutes. Will take us a lifetime to do. <laughs> I mean, time is not really that important to God because He can speed the whole process up. So what He's trying to do is work some things out in our ministry, so that we can become more effective. And uh, are in our lives, I should say, and so uh, as Sister Sean has mentioned, time is is very important to us, but to God, it's. Uh, but on the other hand, we're not supposed to waste time. No, I don't mm-hmm. think God wants us just to fiddle around mm-hmm. when Saying, He's well, whenever well, God's ready. Yeah, yeah. yeah. No, because we have to go through a process, and the way you do that is being uh, active in ministry, doing what your hand finds to do, and if it's working under a pastor right now or as a youth leader, or whatever it is, you do what you can right now. And you will have experiences there that will prepare you for more effective ministry later on. And when God opens a door, don't stand there looking at it like, hmm, I wonder if I should go through or not. Go through. Do it. He's opened the door. Do it. And I think that's something else we learn to just get with the program. You know, don't, yeah. don't fiddle around. <laughs> I hope those words aren't weird words. Fiddle no. around. <laughs> what would, you know, in your experience uh, of, of ministry and travel and training uh, young ministers, what would you say uh, are some of the traits of a successful young minister? Okay. Um, I mentioned already he needs to develop a re- regular prayer life. He needs to have... Uh, regular Bible reading and study. Uh, it's good for him if he can get a, a mentor, a good mentor, uh, somebody who is succeeding in the kingdom. And if you're in a particular church, that may be where God wants you right now. So even if it doesn't look like the best chance to progress, at least God's going to teach you some things mm-hmm. through that. And so... Uh, Try and find somebody that can, can work with you a little bit, if possible. Um, if he doesn't open that door, then he wants you to learn some things on your own and uh, be ready to do that. <laughs> I think managing your money is really important. It's not spiritual, particularly. But it does affect your spiritual It does affect thing. spiritual things. People get in debt nowadays. Young people's spend they use their credit cards and spend money and get into they have to have everything today and it's a huge detriment to their ministry and if you can learn as a young man tear up those credit cards buy what you can pay for if you can't pay for it don't buy it live without it and um you know you'll be learning lessons of trusting in god and then God will be able to trust you. We've handled huge, huge amounts of money in projects and everything, but God could trust us because he knew 
that we weren't going to go and blow that money on something or just throw it away because he'd seen how we conducted our personal finances. So I would say money issues are huge to be to really get into ministry, and a lot of men have fallen because they they got greedy and um, wanted everything right away. Yeah. And I would say a marriage partner is also huge. That's not character necessarily, but choosing the right person, you can you can hang a, something around your neck that you have to carry the rest of your life, and it's, it's really a, a hindrance if you get the wrong person who's not committed the same way you are. Talk to that, to that young lady, Sister Shaw, that uh, is saying, you know, I, I feel... Well, I feel called to preach, or I feel like I'm going to be uh, in ministry. Maybe even, maybe not as, uh, you know, and it's so, it, I tell a lot of young ladies, I say a lot, I'm, like, I'm talking to a lot of young ladies. <laughs> I, tell, you know, I tell young ladies sometimes, you know, you need to develop a gift or teaching or Sunday school or something that can, that can help you mm-hmm. in ministry mm-hmm. to be effective and, and that will open up doors, just like for a young man who may have, who may be more prone to a pastor may say, "Well, why don't you come preach for me?" Mm. Well, a young lady, they're not going to get asked. More to likely, preach. they're no. more than likely no. they're not going to say, no. hey, "Yeah, come on, no. preach." No. But if you have a, a, whether it's music, whether it's Sunday youth, school, yeah. youth ministry, student ministry, something that can can can, you know, and I'm not saying tr- we're trying to force doors open or anything, no. but you have to have something. Uh, that that can be effective in mm-hmm. ministry to people, and and that will really open up mm-hmm. doors. What would you say to that to that young person, or um, young lady? Well, as a preface to that, I think it's really important that we learn to accept ourselves as who we are. We're not all Nona Freemans, or Barb Willoughby's, or whoever. God makes each one of us. The Bible says it when we're in the womb, he already knows our character and our qualities, and he's put them in there in us for a reason. And so um, a lot of young women feel like, I can never do that, so I can't do anything. And that's not true. You may not have my personality, but you've got the personality that God wanted you to have, and he's got a place for you. So um, I would encourage young women, if you're shy, that's okay. If you're quiet, that's okay. If you don't play the piano, that's okay, because there is something you can do. But yes, I absolutely agree with you. If you can get experience, um, I mean, in the days when I was a teenager, we used to do street meetings, and I'd play my accordion, and, you know, they don't do all that kind of stuff anymore. But churches always have... um, outreach programs there are things going on and you should sign up for everything if if you're a young woman that feels in your heart that that God has put something in there you want to be involved in ministry do everything you can visiting senior citizens you know if that's an, an outreach program that the church has if doing Sunday school bus anything that's Some going Bible studies Anything that's going on, get involved. Make yourself available. Tell your pastor, I'm willing. If you have something that needs to be done, if you have somebody that needs to be picked up for church, 
I've got a car. I'll go and pick them up. I'll bring kids. Um, make yourself available. And then as you do, it's just natural selection. There will be some of those things that f- that are a good fit for you. And other things you're like, I don't, I don't enjoy that at all. Or um, it's very obviously that's not your gifting. But by getting involved in as many things as possible, it gives you more chances to find out what you are good at. And I think if music is a huge thing, um, and I'm careful about saying it because if there's somebody in ministry that doesn't play or doesn't sing, I don't want to discourage them, but a pastor's wife that can play the piano or a keyboard is a it's a huge plus going if you're going in to start a church and you can play the keyboard and nowadays you don't have to be able to play like Jimmy Swaggart used to you know you all you have to do is chord a little bit and on those keyboards do it learn to chord people you can learn to type you can learn to do all those other things so learn those basic chords and um, make it make it something that that you can help with and if you sing Get out there and sing. Get in the choir. Do it. Just be available. Do what you can. That that's what I mean. I I wasn't. I was a tomboy and I wasn't a, a nice lady like young lady. But I used to teach at junior camp. I used to work in the snack shack, peel potatoes in the you know at camp meeting in the in the kitchen. Anything there was to do, I'll be there. I'll do it. And. I think that's part of the reason why God's given us so many opportunities because we just said, hey, if somebody's lining up, <laughs> we're going to get in the line. <laughs> so that would be my advice to young ladies. That's great. Don't spend too much time on fluffing out up the external. Um, that's just a personal. <laughs> I get a little tired of these, you know, strutting around. and it's Oh, goodness, just be real. Be real. God will honor that. <laughs> that's good. Well, you know, I, I, one, of the, one of the reasons I, I really enjoy interviewing uh, men and women in ministry is because I, I think that, that sometimes, sometimes we, oh, I, I say we, I mean, sometimes it's easy for us because of our North American mentality that's very male-dominant, mm-hmm. that we can sometimes... Sometimes women can feel like they don't have a place, or you know, it's just a bunch of guys. And well, you just have to go. You know, if you want to be a minister, then mm-hmm. well, you know, you need to go over here and do this or mm-hmm. something. But, but I think that women need to understand that they're very important mm-hmm. in ministry. Mm-hmm. Can I can I just break in here Absolutely. and add something? Um, my wife had mentioned that she became a secretary in an elementary school in Canada when I was. We were doing home missions work so that I could go full-time. When we went to Pakistan and our children came of age, uh, Sheets of Christ had had uh, paid for missionary children's education until the year our kids started. <laughs> and so it wasn't worked into our budget. And so because she had that experience, we were able to Four get missions gave me permission, permission to, to work, work. In, the, in an international school. With an American curriculum, and our kids that way. Were I worked in attend. the office. I was the elementary secretary. And Aww. through that, she actually met ambassadors, uh, high politicians in the Pakistani government. We met all kinds of people we'd have never met in in any other uh, setting. And so, what looks like, uh, you know, 
I can't really do anything. Actually, if you have some kind of a skill, you might be able to. Uh, we have Sister Amanda Scott that worked as a teacher in the American school in Lahore, Pakistan for three or four years, and her husband wrote her coattails, <laughs> yeah. and got, they got their visa into the country through this, so then mm -hmm. he was the principal of our Bible school. So uh, without her working in that school, he, they wouldn't have even been in the country. So there are a lot of things that, that uh, um, young ladies can get involved in. I think it's very important. The biblical pattern is uh, of, a, of authority. God and, you know, the head submitted to the head above them. And personally, it's a little bit of a crusade for me that I really believe in, in old-fashioned submission. I think it's really important. And in our marriage I you can tell I'm obviously the outgoing one and um, he's much quieter but every day I am absolutely submitted to my husband and if we're in the process of making a decision I'll he lets me give my input and I'll express my opinion and what I but when he makes the decision and that's what we do I don't make any decisions in our family I input how I feel but he makes the fun and I go with it and I don't fight him on it and I think that's very liberating for a man if he has a wife who is always kind of holding back or complaining about things um, it, re it, it really bogs you down after a while and so I would encourage young women it's not a popular concept nowadays people talk about submission and they get all but it's actually very liberating. I don't have to carry the load of making decisions. I have my very um, clear-cut role in the family. And by me submitting, it makes our children comfortable. They know there's not a lot of discord. And um, he's, he's in charge. And even now, I've been given um, opportunities to speak and minister. And I always say... I always stand up and say, I am standing in this pulpit under the umbrella of my husband's authority. I just want people to know I'm not out here pushing myself, but um, in, in the true bib, and that doesn't mean that he can push me around and order me around. That's not what submission, that doesn't give him permission to treat me like the, a doormat. Um, and he doesn't. I, but but if, if couple, young couples can get that lined up, early in their marriage, it really opens up a lot a lot of things that if you're not submitted and if you're kind of going against each other, you know, you're gonna you're gonna have problems. So it, I think it's a it's really an important issue. Hmm. And it doesn't mean I can't be who I am. It doesn't mean I'm erased by submitting. I don't become erased and invisible. It just means that I have somebody else who's responsible for me, and I'm responsible to to be obedient and to enhance in any way I can what he's doing for God. Mm, that's great. That's great. Wow. Well, I didn't expect to go on, get on, <laughs> get on over there. You didn't talk about this Pakistan. This is good. This is good. Yeah. Um, These are things we, we've learned. <laughs> no, this is great. I mean, you know, really, really, this is this is this is what we need. You know, we need to we need to talk about these things, and and it's un sometimes it's uncomfortable. You know, but 
but it's, well, I it's think I, I think it's very good that you're doing this for young ministers and and uh, young ladies that might be interested in in ministry. Uh, that's one thing that our generation failed quite miserably in. They didn't <laughs> talk openly. I mean, you just minded your P's and Q's if you're a young preacher. And until you were 45 or 50, you didn't <laughs> hardly open your mouth. <laughs> and at least for some areas that we've been in. So uh, I think that that's something that what you're doing is very, very uh, commendable because it's giving young people a, a chance to tap into experience from people that uh, have been through things and uh, then apply it and maybe save some some heartache and mistakes, and, and yeah. mistakes down the line. Yeah, and, you know, there's never, it's, there's not an age where you suddenly become qualified. Um, <clears throat> humanly, we all look at, well, they're just, they're young, they're just new married, they're just a young couple, they're just, that's not, God, God uses young people too. And he has a place for everybody at every stage of their life. You don't have to just mess around for a while until finally you get to the place where, okay, now God can use you. There are children that God can use. There are young people, and it may not be pulpit ministry at the beginning, but you don't have to just stand in the shadows and wait. Um, God uses everybody. And I, I think I what Alan just said about... Um, our generation missed it. We we did not encourage young people the way that we should have. And now they're complaining that there's not a lot of young men. Mm. Well, it, maybe that's partly the fault of the, the previous generation that we kind of said, well, just wait until you're 25 or whatever. Mm. God doesn't say that. Mm. God has a spot for everybody at every stage of their life. Let me just mention one thing because this <laughs> is a, an area, and I, it's something that I have learned just recently, because we have also faced some major uh, issues in our ministry over the over time, and, and you have to battle against some things that it would try and destroy the church. We Our experience has been, and, and it's come into more focus recently, uh, is every time you go through a major battle, if you will push all the way through, when you come on the other side, you will have more spiritual authority. And this is something that I have noticed very markedly. At every level that you go up, you, you're able to impact the kingdom and come against spiritual forces out there with knowledge and understanding and authority. And uh, when, when uh, the seven sons of Sceva tried to cast out the evil spirits from a, from a young man, the, those spirits turned on him and they said, we know who Jesus is and we know who Paul is. How did they know them? Because hmm. they had met them face to face in spiritual warfare. And so, uh, if you will press through, God doesn't take you into the huge battles right away. He takes you into something that you can handle and that you can make it through or you that. You might not feel like you can handle it. Yeah. Mm -hmm. <laughs> but if you will push through that, he won't let you go beyond what you're able to bear. Mm -hmm. And if you push through that, when you come through on the other side, you're going to notice that there's a difference. Mm -hmm. You have a new level of authority. And I think that's a really important thing that... I, I, it's happened in our life before, but I haven't seen it in focus like I have recently. 
because now we face situations that are far more difficult than we ever dreamed of in earlier years, but there's a confidence there mm -hmm. because we've been through some battles already and we know that the Lord's on our side and we know how to deal with this thing. And so that's something that can be very, very important. You have to start early on and, and build Don't this. give up. Yeah. yeah. Don't give up. Yeah. <clears throat> mm -hmm. Well, let's, in closing, um, I wonder if you could just uh, say a prayer. Brother Shalom and Sister Shalom, if you wouldn't mind, just uh, say a prayer over that young person. Mm -hmm. uh, maybe they're maybe they're pushing through something right now, or mm -hmm. maybe maybe they're they need that you know they they feel like they're uh, maybe in that five and six year gap before the seven years mm -hmm. you know and and, and uh, just pray for them right now mm -hmm. if you don't mind. Amen. Praise you, Jesus. Jesus, Lord Jesus. Name. We do thank mm -hmm. you for this opportunity this afternoon to sit and discuss with Brother. Tapia, Lord, uh, the needs of different young people. You know Jesus. who's listening right now. Mm. And Lord, we are thankful that you are raising up a spiritual army that's yes, going to Lord. impact this mm. last generation. We are the generation upon whom the ends of the age have come. And I pray, Lord, that you would reach out through your anointing Jesus. even now. Mm. Touch some young person who's feeling a call to ministry, maybe uncertain about something. Maybe they're feeling as though, well, can I really do this? Is this really God? Mm -hmm. Give them an assurance, Lord, Jesus. that you are calling mm -hmm. and your callings are without repentance. That you will lead and guide and direct them. That your Jesus. anointing will be upon them. That you will take them through every Jesus. situation. Mm -hmm. Lord, that your strength will be with them. Your anointing and power will mm -hmm. be there. I'm asking that you would touch them even now. Give them courage, Lord mm. Jesus, because you have called them. Out of all the people in the world, yes. you put your finger on Jesus. them. Mm. And you said, I've got a work for you to do, and you can do it. Encourage you. them, Lord. Let yes. them step forward mm. with faith, with vision, with Jesus. confidence, and with knowledge that you're with them and that they can do the job through your help and through your strength. In Jesus' name we pray. Yes. And we glorify you, Lord. Amen. Praise you, Jesus. Amen. Praise you, Jesus. Amen. Praise you, Jesus. Would you say a prayer too? Lord, I'm just thinking right now as we're sitting here at the table about some young lady listening to this program and feeling like, what can I do? And I just pray, Lord, that as these words have gone into her heart and into her spirit, into her mind, let her understand, oh God, that there are so many things that any one of us can do. You are calling each one of us into the harvest, and there are so many hungry people, Lord, everywhere we go, every time we go in Walmart, there are people in Walmart that are hungry for God, there are people at Barnes & Noble who are hungry for God, at our job, at our school, at our college, Lord. There are people who are looking for answers. And I pray, Jesus, that the people that are listening to this podcast, Lord, that they would understand they don't have to reach everybody in the world, but they have to do what God has called them to do. And that when the door is open, they can go through with confidence, knowing that you are going ahead of them, Lord, and your blood will cover everything. 
Jesus, I thank you so much for your blood and for the things that you've given to us, your word and your name and your spirit and your truth, Lord, and the blood that covers us. I just pray for each one in Jesus' name. In Jesus' name, Lord, call them. Uh, we need laborers, Lord. I'm thinking about Asia right now and the billions of people. We need laborers, Lord. We need school teachers. We need nurses. We need secretaries. We need people that can teach English, Lord. There are so many needs, and I pray that those who are making themselves available will understand that you're leading every step of the way. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you, Lord. Well, thank Definitely. you so much uh, for being with us today. It's been an honor to, uh, to have you be a part of us today. Thank you so much. Mm, thank you for the for opportunity. Us. We really appreciate it. You've been listening to a Ministry Mentorship Podcast with Jacob Tapia. Find out more about this resource by going to ministrymentorship.com. And if you'd like to connect with our guest or find links to any recommended resources, you can go to the show notes of this podcast. Look for episode 45 on our podcast page. Also, you can help us gain more visibility by liking our Facebook page and leaving us a comment or rating our podcast on iTunes. If you're interested in donating to this ministry, you can do so by going to ministrymentorship.com backslash donate. And your gift of any amount will help us to continue our mission of connecting apostolic leaders with young people for ministry development. Thanks for listening, and God bless.